Let's look at Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11 again as we begin this morning. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, these are the verses that we'll be meditating on this morning. It begins, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Him here is this, uh, this righteous servant of God that, we, that we've been talking about over the course of the entirety of Isaiah 53. God has put him, the servant, to grief. And when his soul, the servant's soul, makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Do you ever use the expression, your will, my will, in like normal conversation, right? You wake up in the morning and everybody's around the table or getting ready and you're like, my will for the day, right? Whatever you say is going to be immediately followed by people laughing, right? This is not a normal expression, yet it's something that appears here and is emphasized. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And then at the end of verse 10, the will of the Lord shall prosper. We don't tend to think in terms of the will of the Lord. It's a very kind of strange, Bible-y kind of concept, old-timey concept. But it's an important one for us to pause and consider because this is what is the emphasis here of our two-verse text. The will of the Lord. What does the Bible mean when it says the will of the Lord? What the, the, it's two things, right? The will of the Lord is His plan. It's the thing that's, that's going to happen. Like when, we, when we're back in Isaiah, when we're back in the prophets and the prophecies of Scripture, this isn't like Isaiah's like, you know, looking over a crystal ball, like trying to, to see what's going to happen in the future. The Lord is telling them, this is happening. This, I'm bringing this about. God's will equals God's plan. This is what is happening. The second thing, though, that's implied in God's will is God's heart. Right? It's not just His plan. It's what He wants. He wants to see this done. This is what He desires. And I want you to think about that. We're going to try to keep that at the forefront of our mind throughout our talk this morning. Because... Sometimes I think we can, we can disassociate Jesus and all that he did. All that God does for us on the cross from God's heart. Like God wanted to do this other thing, but he had to do this thing. But this is the will of the Lord. This is the will of the Lord. God's will, as we just observe it briefly, is, is very strange. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And it says that the will of the Lord will prosper. Whatever my will is in a day, like, right, what's the kind of the joke if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans? You know, like whatever my will is in a day, it doesn't seem to ever prosper. Right at a certain point in your life, you're sort of like, okay, I give up. Like, just you, world, you just tell me what we're doing today. Because I, I don't have any idea. Right, but God's will, whatever he says, is going to prosper. And also God's will is... Apparently very strange. It was the will of the Lord to take his righteous servant and crush him. There are people in your life who help you? You know, clients, bosses, coworkers, who are, who are advocates, who are partners, who are with you in this thing and helping you accomplish your will? You don't tend to delight in crushing them. So this is a very strange will that we see is going to come about. It's a very strange will that is taking place here. 
But Isaiah 53 is a, it tells us the story about what God's heart is and how it came to be. And so let's just walk through our verses here to begin. Verse 10 is going to tell us what God's plan is, saying this is God's plan. This is the will of the Lord, and this is the will of the Lord that will succeed. And then verse 11 tells us what that will accomplishes. So let's just pick up here in verse 10. It says, it begins with yet. Yet is, right, how, does, how do we use yet in conversation? Yet, right, it's a finger-raising contrast with something that just came before. And this is in contrast with verses 4 and 5, if you look back there. Isaiah observes that uh, he, the servant, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken by God, uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, we thought that he was suffering for sins that he had done, right? When the Pharisees look at Jesus on the cross, they say, you know, if God loves you, if he likes what you've been doing, he'll surely rescue you, but he ain't. So we thought that he was being punished by God for what he did wrong, but verse 5 Jesus, this righteous servant, was pierced for our transgressions. So he wasn't being punished for his sins. He was being punished for ours. Yet, as we come to a close here, I want want you to make sure, this was all part of God's will. God wasn't smiting him, striking him, afflicting him for sins that he had done, but for our sins. Yet, we need to make sure that we understand, and Isaiah is trying to emphasize here, it was God's will. This was God's will. Verse 10, the next line, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's the plan, right? That was the plan, that Jesus' life would become a guilt offering. That everybody who is guilty before God would be forgiven because of what Jesus does. And then verse 10, the last line, and uh, next line, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. This lets us know that the plan was successful. Now, think about those, that phrase, those phrases there for a second in light of what we've already learned about the servant. It says that he shall see his offspring, which is strange because what does the first couple of verses tell us? They tell us that he had no form or majesty that we should desire him. He was rejected. He was, we esteemed him not. So this guy who is the most rejected person ever has offspring, is is beloved and has children and family. That's strange. How did that come about? The other thing that's unique here, did you notice this? It says he shall prolong his days. What did we learn about the servant in just in verses 7, 8, and 9 last week? Every one of those verses emphasizes that he's going to die. He's going to be like a lamb to the slaughter. He's going to be cut off out of the land of the living, verse 8. In verse 9, he's going to go to death. He's going to be rejected, but have offspring. He's going to die, but prolong his days. So there's a little bit of a mystery here, but it seems like God's going to do something extraordinary and marvelous as a result of what the servant accomplishes. Because he did it, how are we going to know that he did it? Through this extraordinary thing that God's going to do to validate it. And so we see in verse 10 at the end, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord will be accomplished. Jesus says this much in John 17, verse 4. He says in his great high priestly prayer right before he goes to the cross, like minutes before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, I've accomplished what you sent me to do. I did it. Which is exactly how our passage began as well. If you remember, if you can look 
back to chapter 52, verse 13, the very first phrase of this entire section begins, Behold, my servant, my righteous one, shall, ESV says, act wisely, footnote, shall prosper. He'll do it. He'll succeed in this venture. And so we, we come to this in verse 10. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now, verse 11 is what the servant accomplishes. And we're just going to focus in on this, kind of the second line here, where it says, by his knowledge, and so out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now let's just key in on that word knowledge for just a second. By his knowledge. This knowledge is the report, the thing that we heard back in chapter 53, verse 1, who has believed what they heard from us. I always say the old King James Version of this, who has believed our report. That's what this knowledge is. This, this, this message of what Jesus, the righteous servant, did, that he gave his life as an offering for our sins and that he succeeded. That whole thing is this message. What the New Testament is going to call the news, the good news, what we call the message of the gospel, is this knowledge. And notice what it says. It says that this report, this knowledge, by this shall the, my righteous one make many to be counted righteous. And so we, 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 are, we are stepping in the pool a little further past where you can touch. Okay, so up till this point, we've kind of been like, okay, I get, I get what's kind of happening here. But now we're getting into a subject Tony alluded to already called justification. You hear what he's saying here? By, my, not, by this knowledge, many shall be accounted righteous. Here's what this means. That when we believe... When we believe the message of what Jesus accomplished for us, all you got to do is believe it. And God counts that as participation in what Jesus did. And so now his righteousness becomes ours and he bears our sins away. So the traditional and the proper understanding of righteousness is it's a courtroom metaphor. So think of a sinner, a criminal in the dock, right? The judge, jury, everybody's arrayed, you know, the press. And here's you, and you have, like, all of your sins, all of your misdeeds are, are made clear, and now it's time to sentence you to what you righteously deserve. But because you've trusted in Jesus, Jesus jumps in, in between and says, no, 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 no. I took all that already, and I want to give him all of my righteous deeds. So when you make that verdict, God the righteous judge, he's, he's saved from that punishment. And more than that, he gets, he gets a free pass into all that I deserve. So that's this, this righteousness metaphor. Here's, here's another metaphor that, hopefully this isn't too heretical, uh, you all pay attention a little bit more when I say heretical things, right? Um, but I think it might be a little bit more accessible. When we were hiking a couple weeks ago, we went out to the Grand Canyon for spring break, and we were hiking, I was wearing a Milwaukee Bucks hat. So every time uh, somebody with a Brewer's hat or a Bucks t-shirt on, right, every time they saw me, what they say? Go Bucks! Right? Bucks in six! We won! Right? And, and I, I'm in that, right? We won! Did, did we win? 
right? We bought a hat. <laughs> but we won, right? And, and I identify with the Milwaukee Bucks, right? I'm just wearing all I did. All I did. I did nothing. I did nothing. Right? I have no, no, I'm no association with the Bucks organization. I'm not even the kid out there mopping sweat. I'm nothing. And yet I can say confidently and boldly, we won. Right? How, how did this, this, this happen? I didn't take on any of the pain and the struggle for the, the Bucks championship. I didn't, I didn't bear any of that burden. All I did was I took up that message in the form of a hat. And all of a sudden, I get to participate in this. All of a sudden, I'm part of this. We won. We didn't even, we didn't even play, but we win. This is, what, this is what justification is like. You know, it's like Packers-Bears, right? It's like, you're a, it's like you're a Bears fan. Like, of all the low-down, dirty things, Right? But you come to realize that the Packers really are God's team. <laughs> they really are this, this glorious thing. And, and God has given them special favor. And, and you, you don't just, you're not a fair weather fan. You really say, I, I renounce the Bears. I see now that not only are, are the Packers so much greater, but Wisconsin is so much greater than Illinois. I mean, right? I mean, like the, the whole thing of, where, of the, the Packers and everything about them is just... You know, and, and, and you say, I, I, I hear that message, and now I believe it, and I want to, right? And as soon as, as, soon as you say that, and you take off your Bears t-shirt, and we hand you a Packers t-shirt, you get to say, we won! <laughs> now you are in. And you get, you get to lay claim to all that the, the, the Packers legacy and all that they're accomplishing or not accomplishing on the, on the field. This is what is happening for us here. God counts it as, as us, us dying for those sins. Us getting all of that righteousness. We didn't die for those sins. We didn't do any of this righteousness. But we get it all before God. Because we've put faith in Jesus. Because we put the, the t-shirt on. We, we trusted in, in Him. And what He did for us. I want to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, we just walked through verses 10 to 11. I want to, I want to slow down and just get some, some of the concepts here. Because this is what the will of the Lord is, right? This passage is about the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and the will of the Lord succeeds. And what is it that the will of the Lord is set out to do that it does? The will of the Lord justifies us. This is God's plan. This is God's heart. We are saved through an act of justification. As Tony talked with the the young people today before the service, justification means to be declared righteous. Not made righteous. You don't all of a sudden become a good person. But before God, He sees you that way. He sees you as righteous. You are declared righteous because of faith in Jesus' work. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says there, since we've been justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. We've, we've been justified, and so we come to have peace with God. This is only possible through the, the thing we've talked about before is the exchange, which is this fancy word imputation. 
My bad stuff goes into Jesus and He bears it away to death. And all His good stuff is counted to me. And I get to live. I get to live. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might be the righteousness of God. I want to, I want to reflect for a second on the second part of that construct. Because what, what is new in verse 11, it says that we are counted righteous. He's already talked many times about how, God, about how Jesus bore our sins away, which we get and we like and we get. But this is something different and, and additional and more. Because he says you're counted righteous here. And so that now we have peace with God. That we can come before God like Jesus. You can come before God like Jesus does. That's what it means to have His righteousness imputed to you and counted as yours. He goes on, he says here, right, uh, he shall see his offspring. We become offspring, the child of God. So this all comes to us as a message, as a, as a body of knowledge that we must believe. Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed our report, who has believed what they heard. You've got to believe this message. And when we do, we become the offspring of God. We become children of God. We, he looks at us the way that He looks at Jesus, the way that Jesus deserves. Have you ever bought a present for somebody and a friend or a co-worker wants to suddenly sign the card? Right, so, so you love this person, or, or you know, you're getting them a present. You, you're, you've thought about them. You went shopping for them. You paid money. You wrapped it. You got the card. And you're going to give it to them, and you're going to get, oh, thank you so much. Hug. And your friend or their coworker is like, hey, let me write my name on that. I'll give you five bucks. You're like, this is, though, what we get. Jesus does all the work. He pays all the price. And we write our name on the card. And we, you know, we, Jesus gives his accomplishment, his righteousness before the Father to get what he deserves. And we get it. We get the same hug that the Son gets because of this work of this exchange, this justification. We become offspring. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. John, in, in introducing his version of the story of Jesus' life, he says that Jesus came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to whomever does receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's this. This is what Isaiah is saying here. That if we believe in Jesus, if we believe this message, that God is going to do everything that's necessary, which is justification, imputation, so that we get to be called children of God. And not like, like just children. Not like, 
my son, and then like the rest of you people, we, God treats us like his children. He treats us like Jesus. And this is what is God's will. And what is God's will gets done and has been done by our Lord Jesus. Let's just reflect on this briefly for a few minutes before we, we wrap up here. And I want to hit a couple, uh, a couple different reflection points. First of all is, is the assumption. The assumption of this is that we are not righteous enough. I know kind of like every week I'm talking about how bad you are, and you're like, geez, all right, let's, we get it. We kind of got to say it every week because it's a big part of this chapter here, right? And probably you forgot how bad you were since last week. So it's worth saying, you know? Because you're at church, right? So you're at church, you're like, I'm a pretty good church person. Like, uh, you know, got the family here. Got my mom here, you know? And you are, and I, I love you, and he loves you, and we're all, that's all good. But you're not righteous enough for what you need, right? We are meant to live for God. We are meant to live for God. You know, I, I was thinking about this. So much of our, our thinking about God is very, like, immediate. Like, God, help me, or God, why didn't you help me? Like, it's just like right now in the now. But do you understand that you came from God and you're going to go back to God? Like, he, he made you, and you're going to stand before Him. And we are going to have a conversation. We were meant to live for God. And not only were we meant to live for God, right? I want to flip the, flip the table around. We need God. We need God in our lives. We need Him all the time. He's helping us in all sorts of ways that we don't see. In the few moments when we are paying attention, we see Him help us. He's, we need Him in our lives. But we cannot come before Him the way that we are. We don't deserve to come before Him. And we, if we were to come before Him in our unrighteousness, we could not endure it. I'm reading a, a series of, of biographies of Lyndon B. Johnson. I, I kind of don't know why. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like Lyndon Johnson. I don't even really like, like American politic history and stuff. It's a really good book, though. One of the interesting things is uh, Lyndon Johnson's interaction with FDR. Anybody here remember FDR? So, it's, so Franklin Roosevelt, who is this like you know godlike presidential figure in the early part of the 20th century, um, now he's just a man, right? He's a, he's a weak person. He's got illnesses. He, he's dead, you know. He's now he's dead, right? And yet, <laughs> you couldn't get in to see him. You did not deserve to see Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Nobody in this room could have ever got in to see him. He had secretaries who fended off people. He had aides who fended off people. And so it was like the primary job of this entire uh, democratic apparatus at that time to try to figure out how to get access to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and get in that room. And Lyndon Johnson found a back door. And that was sort of his, his story of his career path. But you couldn't, right? You, none of us are righteous enough to stand before Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Who do we think we are to stand before the living God? It's, it's exponentially, uh, exponentially harder, worse, wrong. We are not righteous enough. 
And yet the claim of Isaiah 53 and the claim of our text is this. This is the big idea here this morning. That God wants us back. God wants us back. And He has done in Jesus everything that is necessary for that to happen. God wants us back, and in Jesus He has done everything that is necessary for that to happen. That's the message of Isaiah saying, this is the will of the Lord. He wanted this thing done. He knew what it was going to take. Right? Isaiah 53 and what we see in the life of Jesus, it wasn't like God was like, oh, shoot, you know, they're, they're, they're cracking my eggs. Well, we should make an omelet. Or they're giving me lemons. We should make some lemonade. This is the will of the Lord. He knew what was required for us to be brought back to him. And he did it. He did it. God's plan is precisely what each one of us needs to bring about what each one of us wants. We want to live before God. We want to live with God. We want our maker involved in our life. We need justification. We need this exchange. We need to be brought into this team by the work of another. So let me just ask you this morning, I mean, I know I'm talking to a room full of mostly people who would say, I'm a Christian and I have believed in this, but I want to push on that a little bit more, which is to reflect on whether you have received this message for yourself. You know, would you be able to say, I believe that it was for me that Jesus did all this, and I believe that it was effective for me. It was for me that he did it, and it is effective for me. It's too Two ideas. He did it. I got it. You say both things. He did it. I got it. Because if we, if we have got it, then I want you to know you are justified. And you have peace with God. If you have peace with God, if this has happened for you, then you are always in this restored relationship with God. You are never not in this restored relationship with God. You might not feel like you're in it. You might, not, you, you might feel like you're a really bad person who doesn't deserve it. Ding, 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 you got that right. But this depends on him and not us. He's the Giannis Antetokounmpo in the story. Not you. He's the one who won the championship. He's the one who did all the work. So it depends on him. Right? We in no way brought this happy news about. We did, we did all we could to destroy peace with God. We did it successfully. But Jesus Christ came and he reversed it all. So that God credits his work to us. And we get to now enjoy, utterly unearned, Jesus' relationship with God. So let me encourage you to, to apply this to your life in two ways this morning. I mean, believe it. Believe it. But I want you to believe it a certain way. I feel like uh, Christians, uh, Christians in our kind of neck of the Christian woods tend to think about, belie- we have a complicated relationship with the idea of believing it. I want you to believe, uh, to, and believe that you're included in this. Right? So you can say, oh, I believe that we landed on the moon. Right? Did we land on the moon? Yeah, I believe we landed on the moon. Okay. Okay, you believe, you know, it's like, yay, we landed on the moon! What's for lunch? <laughs> right, like, I believe it, but 
Or you could believe it like, do you believe that your friend bought you this coffee? Right? You take it. You enjoy it. It's, it's a part of your life now. And this is the kind of belief that we're called to here. Have you believed that this was God's plan and that Jesus did this for you? So that you can now say, Jesus did what he did on Good Friday. He did that for me. Do you believe that it was effective for you? I'm pushing. This is a little bit, lo- a little bit deeper, a little bit lower. Can you say, God will never count my sin against me? God will never count my sin against me because He counted me righteous. Could you say, God counts me righteous? He looks on me with the favor that Jesus deserves and He welcomes me into His presence freely. Can you say all of those things? It's really important that you can say all of those things. If you can't, then you don't understand what Isaiah is saying here, what God's heart is for you to get, to understand what Jesus accomplished for you. And, and this is not to say, you know, Tony talked about justification and sanctification. We all want to be less like we are, but you're going to sin. You're going to do all sorts of sins. And yet, the Bible invites us to continue to come before the Lord God Almighty in Jesus' name. Right? In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm coming here, why? I'm coming here because of what Jesus did. Friends, God didn't plan this whole plan. He didn't crush His Son Christ didn't go to be slaughtered like a lamb so that you and I could continue to live in guilt and shame and insecurity and fear. If those things characterize in any way your idea of your relationship with God, I want you to understand that is not, what, that is not God's heart for you. That is not His will. You know, you ever, uh, you're with your kids, you're going somewhere, and like an hour into the drive, I'm thirsty. Didn't I get... Didn't I get you? Where's the, where's the water that I prepared for you and I made for you? And I got, you know, it's oh, it's by where my shoes were before we got in the car. Or it's in my backpack, right? Like, use the thing that I got for you. I got you the thing. Use it. The sun's too bright. Where are the sunglasses I just bought for you? Like, where's the thing that I went out of my way to, to get you? Because it's my will that you would be able to see without having to close your eyes. It's my will that you would be satisfied when you're thirsty. This is, this is how God looks at us so much. In our fear, in our insecurity, our sense of guilt, our sense of shame. Like, God, I, I'm, I'm scared. God, I, 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 feel like a, I feel like an idiot. God, I, he's, where's the thing that I got you? Where, I did all this, remember that Mary did all that work for you? Use it. Apply it to yourself. It's for you. Believe it for you. How should we feel about all this? Right? We should believe it. We should also yeah, be, be happy. Right? We should be happy. Today is Palm Sunday. What does Palm Sunday commemorate? Uh, pop quiz. 
The triumphal entry, right? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, which on the face of it sounds like, okay, right? Christians will celebrate anything, I guess. <laughs> what is the significance of, of a guy riding a donkey? Right? If you're riding a donkey, you kind of don't have a lot to do, right? That's my, my understanding of like donkeys versus horses is like, if you can and you, you got a horse to ride, you want to ride your horse. And if you, you can't, you know, you, you, you have to ride the donkey. But you're riding the donkey. Jesus is riding the donkey. Because all the work is done. That's, that's the, 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 the message that Jesus is conveying, which everybody knew because it's quoting an Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is riding the donkey into Jerusalem there because just like he says to his father in that prayer, I accomplished all that you set out for me to do. I defeated, I'm, I'm defeating all your enemies. I'm doing all righteousness. I'm taking care of everything that you called me to do. It is going to prosper. If that's what is true, if we believe all this is true for us, then, then right, the, the proper response is to grab some palm branches, grab some stuff and start celebrating. Start waving things around and throwing things in front of them and getting excited about Jesus. Now I know that, that your life isn't all peaches all the time. Right, but, but what Isaiah 53 is describing here and what we believe has, has occurred in Jesus, like the big stuff has been handled. Right? Like I don't know about what you're going to do tomorrow with that problem. I don't know what you're going to do with the thing that happened on Friday that you're, you know, carried. You, you and God will work that out, right? But the message of the Bible is like the big existential things, like can you have a relationship with God? Are you going to be spared from the wrath to come? Yes. Yes. So, I hope you can loosen your ties and slip off your heels and relax a little bit and enjoy what Jesus has done for you. Jesus' sufferings and death were God's plan to bring us back. And Jesus did it, and that means it's done. And I hope that you will let it be done for you. And I hope that you will let it make you glad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Lord, we, at least I know for myself, sometimes we come before you and thank you for Jesus and thank you for justification and for being, and I just kind of feel like an idiot. Like all I did was, all I did was buy the t-shirt. All I did was put my faith in, in Jesus and that's no great heroic thing. And yet for that simple act of really nothing, of letting Jesus do this for us, you bring us into, you bring us into the, a place of the fullness and a place of pleasure and comfort and joy forevermore. We escape condemnation and we escape judgment and we come into eternal life. Lord, thank you for this grace. And Father, we, we thank you and we ask that you would help us to, to believe for ourselves more fully these truths and to live in light of them more consistently. That is, that is our will this morning, Lord, as we thank you and praise you for 
what you have willed and what you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.